This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Witching Hour. It's Ready or Not's new sister podcast coming to your ears every Friday. Now things are a little bit looser around these parts. Ready or Not will always be your place to go for stories on how mothers and parents are making work work. But Witching Hour is all about what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us in the world of career and parenting. And I say us because I'm joined by a co-host. And so you may know of me as Lucinda from Ready or Not, but this co-host has known me for way too long to be calling me that. So it's Lou or Luce around here. I've known her for 13 years. She's my husband's cousin, feels more like a sister. Her name is Loz and she's here with me now. We actually crashed your first date, my dad and I. You did, and he wouldn't leave the table. And I think you were more embarrassed than anyone because you were trying to pull him away. He was such a pest and he does make an appearance in this episode. We do talk about him. I'm a mum of two, and this is my second round of mat leave. When Lucy and I first met at that beautiful table at the pub, it was friendship at first sight. So super excited to chat all things career and motherhood. So Loz, you were made redundant on this maternity leave. Yes, I was. So the company I worked for had a round of redundancies, uh, and five months into mat leave, I was made redundant. For me, the second time around, I was planning on taking the full year of parental leave. I was still being paid company parental leave at half pay, and I hadn't yet started my government pay, so financially, I was pretty fortunate. But for others, particularly those who were about to return to work or who had newly returned, it was so brutal. What the fuck would you do? It's like you're just about to walk in the doors, you've built yourself up to it, and then it's like, I have to find a new job. Can I find a part-time job? It's really tough. Um, it can really shatter your confidence. So I've been through a round of redundancies before. I'm not sure if you have, Lou. I haven't. I felt, I thought Cricket Australia were going to make me redundant during those COVID redundancies. So I feel like I semi get the feeling of it. But I remember being like, what on earth am I going to do if I lose this job? Yeah. So it's amplified when you're on maternity leave. That feeling. It's like that horrible, sickly feeling. And you go through so much as well through matrescence too. So I feel like... That would just be the last thing that would shatter my It's the last thing you need. The other thing is it throws you into a position where the whole vision that you had for return to work and what that looks like, whether it's slowly ramping up or whether it's going part-time, is completely turned on its head. And you do think about mat leave or your return to work rather a lot when you're on mat leave. Particularly when you're just about to go back. Mm. If you've had a look at the job market at the moment, there's not that many part-time roles at a senior level, available. So from that perspective, it makes it even more difficult. But you have done something pretty amazing during your mat leave, which made me laugh because you said that you needed to make your walks more productive, which I just thought was so typical of a mother feeling like she needed to be doing more constantly. But in this case, I'm going to give you a free pass because what you're doing is incredible. So I am volunteering for an amazing organisation called Very Special Kids. They provide palliative care for children with life-limiting conditions and also facilitate support for their families. I was walking nonstop for the first four months of Zay's life, trying to get him to sleep, as you know, and I walked past VSK daily. kept thinking to myself, 
how could I make my time more productive? So as I was walking, I called them and said, are you in need of volunteers? I'd be happy to help with like letterbox drops or anything that was kind of on my commute, probably to getting a coffee, let's be real. (laughs) Uh, And they said, yeah, we're always looking for volunteers. Their point of difference is that you don't have to commit a certain amount of time. It's not like locking yourself into a schedule, which is so good, especially for mums, because I remember wanting to do volunteer work during my mat leave and not finding something that I could do with Ray when he was that little. Exactly. But when you're walking and you've got letters to drop off, it's pretty. May as well make that walk more productive. Exactly. So you had your orientation last night? I did. And it was amazing. The facilities there are incredible. So it's all really newly rebuilt and they are, I believe, still looking for volunteers. So if it is of interest to any of those listening today, I would highly recommend you sign up because even half an hour of your time makes such a huge difference. There's someone else that's starting to be a bit more productive and that is Charlotte York Goldenblatt. I know there's a new episode that will have dropped by the time this is released. But we needed to talk about this episode and it's the last supper part one. So the second last episode for this season. I want to point out that Lou convinced me to rewatch this series after after the first couple of episodes were duds. I'm coming back around. As a quick summary for context, in the previous episode, Lisa landed a big career opportunity. One of those once in a lifetime type things. She also told her husband she was pregnant. In this episode, Lisa confides in Charlotte that she's pregnant and doesn't know if she can pull off this new career off and motherhood. Charlotte is then faced with her own dilemma. She's in the middle of an art sale when her daughter calls for an emergency. She left her notebook at home. So Charlotte calls Harry, who's also at work, to help out. The dialogue here is what you'd expect. But I'm at work. Charlotte sells a painting. Her co-workers take her out to celebrate and she gets drunk. Throws her phone into a drink to avoid countless family texts and cops hate from her family when she gets home. Do you know what's fascinating and I actually hadn't thought about till now is that her children were rooting for her to go back to work. They were like, mum, we don't need you. And now they've realised what that means and they're absolutely losing their minds. Something else that I'm loving is it's so refreshing for Charlotte to actually have a storyline instead of man sister doing everything for everyone else. They've actually given her something. She's almost become like the most exciting plot line in the show. And it's really funny because I think Sex and the City or and just like that went way too far with this real privileged narrative that no one could really relate to. The show was more relatable being Sex and the City. And just like that is not being relatable. I saw a really funny article headline by New York Times by a writer I love called Jessica Gross that said and just like that everyone is part of the one percent so I love that Charlotte is finally getting a relatable plot line the other thing that really struck me with this little bit of Harry and Charlotte is how he didn't even know that these sorts of emergencies arose she's been dealing with them for so long he didn't even know it was a thing he's like I'm at work why am I getting bothered with this I thought my dad was dead and she's like This is just another fucking day of being a parent. Yeah, which is what struck me at the end when Charlotte goes, I'm more than your wife and your mum. I was a person before you. I feel like every mum in every room watching and just like that at that moment was like, fuck you, kids, and fuck yeah, sweetie. Yes. The other interesting plot line for me is when Lisa's husband says it's your decision and when she says, I'll work it out, and he goes, you always do, and she says, I always do. And then he kind of rolls over and goes to sleep. It's so frustrating. I don't know why we're not cancelling her, but a little bit more. I feel like 
he doesn't really get around Lisa's work opportunities. I think he maybe supports her once, but otherwise she's just always supporting him. And yeah, he just hits head hits the pillow, he goes to sleep. Absolutely. And it's so typical of what goes through your mind as a mom just before you go to bed. It's like a checklist that you have to get through. And sometimes it's so enraging when you turn around and you look at your partner and they're dead asleep. Like wake up, contribute. The other thing that absolutely killed me about this Lisa and Herbert accidental pregnancy plot line was when she's really upset in a shop with Charlotte and she says, I thought it was finally my time. She's dedicated her life to these kids. I think she's got kids ranging from 17 to 8. So that's a long time that she seems to have been out of the workforce and is maybe just finding her way back in. And it just really hurt me when she said, I thought it was finally my time because I can imagine that moment. I've continued to work, but I'm not going to ramp up like in a really big way, I don't think, until my kids are all in school, all in primary school. And then for that to be taken away from you again and to feel that loneliness of like, yeah, my husband is going to support me no matter what I choose. But ultimately, this is the baby in my body. I thought that was really telling of how lonely motherhood can be. Yeah, it's such a good depiction of how mums carry the load and men don't always. Even in really even splits, which is not represented there. She says to him, you don't even help me with the children that we do have. That's right, she does. So I just think Herbert deserves way more cancellation than he's getting. Lou, you put up a poll the other day on Ready or Not that sparked quite a few responses. Yes, so I normally put out a poll on my Instagram stories or our Instagram stories on Ready or Not on a Thursday night. And then depending on what response and what stories I get from that, I then frame them into my Sunday essay that I put on the Substack. Everything motherhood for me is an absolute paradox. And there's something that I've been jostling with for a long time. And that's the way our grandparents, normally the grandmothers or our mothers, how they contribute to a care schedule. So I, in one breath, think that, of course, grandparents who want to be involved and who can be involved should be involved. And I think that care is crucial. My parents are very, very present in Ray's life, but they don't have set care days. And I guess that's probably what this poll was more about. It was about do your do your mothers or parents commit to set care days? And do you think there's a quiet revolution going on amongst mothers who are hanging up their caregiving boots? So that was sort of the angle I was going for. Of course, this triggered a few people because they were like mothers or parents in our lives are crucial to our care. And I could not agree more. That's not what I meant. I just think that for a lot of parents, especially in our parents' generation, they're now going, I have done so much for these kids. I need to have a break. And it seems to be something that is happening. And I think about 65% of pollers agreed that, yeah, there is a quiet revolution amongst especially the grandmothers. I do think, Lou, the other thing is people are having kids later, right? Yes. So age was a huge factor. So this poll sparked huge interest. So it told me a few things. Age is a huge factor. Culture is in Italian backgrounds, yeah. for example. They've got that real village mentality. They're all, all in. Everyone helps each other. But for a lot of people, the grandparents don't commit to set caregiving days, but they do contribute in different ways, which is where I fall in the camp of. So it was actually so fascinating. I had over 50 people DM me. I had over 200 poll responses. And something that really stood out to me was this idea that it's not exploitation, which I agree with, if grandparents are a part of the care schedule, but it is mostly falling on the grandmothers. Even if the grandfathers are there and present, 
it's the grandmothers who do the feeding, do the cleaning, do the pick up, do the drop off. So I just found that a really fascinating take. And I think that's what I was trying to say. It's not so much that we're exploiting them, but I find it quite interesting that our generation of women are trying to take down the patriarchy and stay present in the workforce. But a big way that we're able to do that is by benefiting off the generation before us being available to us. It's just a really interesting dichotomy to me. But you have a really unique situation here in that it's your dad that is regularly contributing to the care. Yes. So my dad looks after my daughter, Sienna, and has done so every Friday, well, most Fridays, since she was four months old. And as of last week, he has started to have both Zave and Sienna together. And next year, he'll have Zave solo on a Tuesday and continue on with Sienna on Fridays. That's incredible. It is. But as you know, also very well he is a bit of a maniac he's um, very loose is one way to he is and i should note that in no way does he consider himself retired so he works four days currently is dropping to three next year and as he will tell you himself he's the busiest man alive uh, but as lou did say my situation is pretty unique and this is also backed by a study that i had a quick look into by the australian institute of family studies who determined in 2022 that grandparent childcare is more often on a casual or occasional basis. So 62% of those grandparents providing care are exactly what you said before, Lou. They're on an occasional basis. That's really interesting too because the poll was split exactly down the middle. 50% of grandparents helped regularly, like committed to days of the week, whereas 50% more did occasional care. So that will actually make those in the poll feel a little bit better because it's actually not quite 50-50. My parents are that example too. Opposite to you, they still provide a lot of care. They still provide a lot of support. I'm living in their home at the moment. But they have five grandkids it's not on a set schedule. So total opposite to you, but that's really interesting because my poll is 50-50. Yeah. The other thing I did want to say that I read is grandparents' desire to connect and build relationships with grandchildren and family was fundamental to them taking on this childcare, which when I had to think about it, when I was younger, my dad worked for himself and his hours were super long. So he probably missed a lot of that connecting with his kids, doing all of that kind of stuff. And so now is a time where he can really do it without the boundaries and discipline, I would say, attached to it. It's like that fun looking after your kids role. My dad has already changed more nappies for Ray than he ever did with me. And it's a pretty amazing thing. Like my mum and I will go off to yoga and leave Ray with dad. And I remember the first time being like, dad can look after him. Or sorry, mum saying the first time, dad can look after him. And me being like, oh, yeah which is another dichotomy of this discussion I was having about like us wanting to bring down the patriarchy, but then being so socially conditioned that we forget these things. Like I am a feminist who wants my mum to get out and do things, yet I forgot that my dad could look after my son because that's not what he, I mean, he was there for us and he was a great dad, but he went off to work. A hundred percent. And also there is a slightly different dynamic when you do leave your children with their grandparents, right? So with dad, I have had to let go of some things. Let go is an understatement. (laughs) Yeah, so what letting go looks like for me would be letting go of what Sienna's eating, her nap schedule, if at all there is a schedule. Um, And I do remember when I first started having dad come in and help, he takes her back to his house. Obviously, he's in his own space. He feels more comfortable, which is great. Um, I did say to Ryan, oh, my God, like, 
dad's messaged me, you know, these pictures of Sienna eating a drumstick at 7.04 a.m. And this is not a joke. I remember she had two teeth and he's like, look, she's gumming a drumstick. <laughs> Who even says that? Gumming. <laughs> um, and I said to Ryan, I'm like, I can't believe this. And he said to me, Loz, she's safe and she's loved. What more do you want? And so that really stuck with me. It really resonated because I did think, you know what? Dad adores her. And okay, he's feeding her drumsticks at 7.03 a.m. But if that's the worst thing that happens, it's actually okay. You also have a really good mindset around guilt, which I want to get into because in the poll and in my DMs, it didn't matter if care was occasional or set. Everyone felt guilty. My rationale is that it's such a limited time that children really get to spend with their grandparents. Once they're at school, they've got their own friends. They've probably got sport every second day. I'm yeah. not at that stage yet. I'm not looking forward to that. No. But their calendars are jam-packed. Like they just don't get that time back. One thing that I think is amazing is I saw this Instagram post the other day that said, it also is good for grandparents because it decreases the risk of Alzheimer's. The research into the connection to decreasing risk of Alzheimer's and looking after grandchildren is incredible. And someone actually sent that to me in our DMs on Ready or Not. So I actually included that in the Substack piece. So if anyone wants to read, it's like, I don't even want to tell you how many thousand words this essay ended up being. But if you want to read the stories of about 50 mothers and what role grandparents play in their lives, we'll link that in the show notes. Speaking of polls, we absolutely love a poll and we also love a bit of a Q&A on Instagram, not in the sense that you ask us questions and I give you answers because I don't have the answers, but I then put them back to our Instagram followers. We've got two really interesting questions that were submitted, sticky situations around career and being pregnant. So the first one was a pregnant person is about 15 weeks gestation, starting to show, starting to get that feeling like they want to tell their manager all those anxieties that creep up around that. The thing is they have their salary review or their review coming up. They think there might be a salary raise attached to it. They don't know whether to wait till after that review to then tell their manager that they're pregnant or to go now and just tell them and hope for the best. Now, unanimously, the feedback was wait, you get that raise and then you tell them. Ah, absolutely wait. How far along were you when you told your boss? I was. The first time I was 26 weeks and the second time I was 28 weeks, which so many of my girlfriends were so surprised about. I was working from home. I was on Zoom a lot. I obviously wasn't showing to anyone aside from myself. You were within your rights. It's funny that we, we sort of, I guess it's part of that people-pleasing nature that we have that we're like, oh, we need to tell them we need to be honest. But it's like you're within your rights. You don't want things to be jeopardized when you're putting in so much work to something. Why would you tell early if you're comfortable not to? And I think for me, the more time that passed, it was like I was feeling like I was running out of time. So I let it slide. And then it got to like the last minute and I thought, oh, I actually have to say I'm pregnant. Like legally. Legally. I need to do it now. The second one was in a similar vein, but we had some pretty good feedback that I actually want to share. So the question is, I'd love to know others' opinions on accepting a promotion when considering having another baby. Back at work for 10-ish months post baby number one, promotion would begin in a couple of months, but baby number two is a consideration. 
So the feedback here was also unanimous. Go for it, this first person says. It's so unfair as women. We feel like we need to be considerate rather than go for what we want or deserve when it comes to work. I was on a leadership path, but as soon as I had my first, it was like I disappeared. Me having a baby was an issue, but it was fine for my male colleagues to be new dads and still in that path. The second person said it may feel a bit tricky or deceptive, but take the promotion. Don't hold your own progress back because of how it might look to someone else. They obviously value enough to offer the promotion and will hopefully be willing to make it work around real life. So then this third person, and I know that this person was made redundant and really, really vulnerable part of their pregnancy. So I think this comes back to the idea of actually just doing what you want because businesses will do what they want as well. So this person says, 100% take the promotion. Nothing is guaranteed. It may take longer than expected to get pregnant. And then it's eight to nine months till you have the baby. Absolutely. Take the promotion. Nothing else needed to be added there, is there? No. However, what I will say, Loz, is that people like me, you're much better and more confident in this space. For someone like me, even seeing all that, even people being like, take it, take it, take it. I would still feel nervous. I know I would, st- I would still wonder if I was doing the right thing. So can you give us a little bit more to make this person feel better about taking their promotion? I understand where you're coming from. When it comes to a promotion, the reason you're getting a promotion is because you've done the work and you deserve it. Promotions aren't something that's just willy-nilly handed out. If you didn't deserve that promotion, it wouldn't be on the table. That's number one. Number two, speaking from experience, it is so much easier to take a step back than it is to take one forward after returning from mat leave. If after moving into a new role, so that promoted role, if after moving into a new role with more seniority, you feel overwhelmed, the workload is too great, the pressure is too high, work-life balance, does that exist, isn't what you thought it would be, having the conversation to scale back or ramp up slowly depending on your situation is available to you it's a much easier conversation to have trust me remember that upon returning from maternity leave your team your organization your ways of working may have changed there could be a new manager or a new vp or a new person or a new structure which means that a promotion and getting one may have way more hurdles than accepting the one at the time that's offered. If your manager leaves and you have a new one, it's like you have to prove yourself again. All over again. That's and really don't forget, one. you've been out of the workforce for a certain amount of time. Like that recency bias is still something. I know people say we're aware of it. We've, we've done our d training. We understand how recency bias works. Once you've been out and then you re-enter, You do in some way, and I'm happy for people to challenge me on this, but I do think in some way you have to re-network, re-prove yourself, re-stand in line for that promotion. Also, you sent me something the other day that was speaking to the fact that it's harder to get promoted as a part-time employee than you're full-time. So say you are full-time now, but you think part-time is more in your future. You need to, again, as you say, take those opportunities when they arise in case they don't come up. It's all well and good for us to want things to be equal, and we do, but society sometimes takes a bit to catch up. So as much as I want to think that, as you say, there's no bias, there still bloody is in a lot of workplaces. So take that promotion when it gets handed to you. 
You've convinced me, actually. I'm glad. Not that I didn't think she should, but I feel I feel like I would do it now if it was me. So, Loz, we have a tip each. Yes, we do. My tip is related to childcare. Put your partner as the first point of call for sickness at childcare and actively talk about taking it in turn with sick days. Even if your partner in that instance is unable to collect your child from daycare and you end up doing it, which may be the case, often it is, at least they're across it and that mental load is shared. So when they get home, they know that you had to go out of your way to pick up your child. Also, if they get that call first, they'll have that moment of, fuck, what the fuck will we do? Which is what mums deal with all the time. That's a really great tip. I've got something that's, I guess, quite relevant to that on the mental load. And that's that the mental load doesn't really stop just with our partner or whatever sort of relationship you're in. I'm in a family of three older brothers and I was doing all of the present shopping up until a few years ago. So my mum, my dad, all three of my brothers. And on top of that, I honestly think they would just ask me what I wanted for my birthday and I would have to tell them that too. A few years ago, I just said to my oldest brother, like, I'm not doing this anymore. We need to take turns. And he was like, yeah, why on earth do you do it? And it just goes to show how socially conditioned women are to take on these roles that even the men in your life that want to be more equal or want to be helpful don't even realize. Neither of us realize. We're both startled. Like, why are you doing this? So if you're in any sort of sibling relationship or any family relationship where it's all on you to do things like the admin, the present buying, organizing birthdays, stop it, take turns, or just drop the ball and do your own thing. If no one contacts me about a Father's Day gift, for example, I just do my own thing. So that is my tip. The mental load extends way further than just in your nuclear family. Share that load evenly amongst everyone. That's it for today. Time to get back to the children. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Witching Hour. We're always open to your feedback. Come find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod.